thank you again for listening. Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vbph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vbph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people. maintain a good appearance on the internet. Now, I know that this is, uh, this is maybe not as, um, uh, as, as important as you might think, but uh, believe it or not, this is a very, very important thing in our generation. Many times the very first contact that a new visitor will have with our church, it is at our website or it is at our Google listing on Google Maps. And so I wanted to just put in a plug real quick. Uh, we have 11 positive reviews on our Google listing, uh, and I think we could get more than that. I think that, uh, uh, that we could make a good representation to our church. If you have not done so already, uh, the church would really, really benefit from your involvement just by leaving a simple little five-star Google review and a little note that says why. Uh, this is a good church to attend. Uh, you'll be surprised how many people that we talk to. Maybe you've, you've uh, noticed this. When you ask someone how they heard about our church, you know what they say most of the time? Oh, I, I looked you up online. I found you on Google. And uh, so that's why it's critical that we can, uh, we can represent our church well. The other thing I wanted to mention tonight is that on our church website, we have a section there that is specially designed for video testimonies. And what we want to do in coming weeks is uh, the church is, has purchased some video equipment. We've got that coming in. And we want to set up a little studio and we, we want to set up a little video editing uh, uh, area in the back there with this new computer we've got. Uh, we're not just upgrading equipment just so that it looks nicer back there. We're doing this for a purpose. And what we would love to do is to have some volunteers to say, Pastor, I want to represent our church and I want to give my testimony uh, in a short form, uh, you know, a three to four minute video that we can post on the web and on our website specifically, uh, which is a great place for you to tell your story and a great place for the church to be represented online. And so I just wanted to put those things uh, in your ear and ask you to consider those. Uh, we'll probably put together a sign up sheet that you can use uh, so that we can do a video testimony. That'll be a great blessing for the kingdom of God. Uh, tonight, uh, we want to open up our Bibles to the book of Revelation. Revelation chapter 1. As we're going to continue in our series, going through the, uh, the incredible book of Revelation. And uh, we are going to finish out the first chapter with this message tonight. And uh, we have seen in the past weeks, we've seen basically an introduction to this incredible book and these letters that... that, uh, that well, not letters, these messages that Jesus had for his churches in the initial chapters. In part one, we looked at the need for revelation. How many know tonight, if we're going to serve God, somewhere we're going to need to be able to hear from God. We're not going to be able to survive on just bread alone, Jesus said. 
We're not going to be able to survive on just the words of righteous men. Peter got a revelation from the Lord. When Jesus asked, who do men say that I am? They said, well, some people say you're the prophet. Some people say you're Elijah. Some people say this or that. And Jesus asked, who do you say that I am? And Peter responded by saying, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus' response is so interesting. He said, flesh and blood did not reveal that to you, Peter. But it was my spirit. It was the Father who is in heaven who revealed that truth to you. That's what's called revelation. And I'm asking you tonight, when's the last time you had a revelation? When's the last time you heard from God? You heard from his word. It's nice to be able to say, my pastor says or I heard in a sermon the other day, or I read in a book the other week. What's more important, if we're going to serve God for the long term, somewhere, beloved, you're going to have to be able to say, I got a revelation. And what it means is not just I got understanding about something. It's not just I figured it out. Revelation is when something is revealed to you. When a part of God's character or a part of God's word, is new and fresh in your soul. I want to tell you, you need revelation for your life. You need revelation for your family. You need revelation for your marriage. Hello? You need revelation for your children. You need revelation for your ministry. You need revelation if if you're going to witness effectively to someone. You need to hear from God. Can I preach tonight? That's why this book is important because this is the book of Revelation. This is the book when Jesus reveals himself and future events to his church. Last week we looked at some of the history of the Apostle John and his prominence as a disciple and as a friend of Jesus. Tonight, we're going to look once again at uh, Revelation chapter 1, and we're going to see an account that ought to have some incredible meaning to you. Let's read together, beginning with verse 12, Revelation chapter 1. Read along with me tonight. Then I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. and Having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. And in the midst of the seven lampstands, one like the Son of Man, clothed, with a garment down to the feet, and girded about the chest with a golden band. His head and hair were white like wool, as white as snow, and his eyes like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace, and his voice is the sound of many waters. He had in his right hand seven stars. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun shining in its strength. And catch this. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. I am he who lives and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and of death. Write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. 
mystery of the seven stars which you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches and the seven lampstands which you saw are the seven churches. Let's pray tonight. Father, we come by the precious blood of Jesus. I thank you for this opportunity that we have to gather in your name. I pray, God, that as we read and study your word tonight, God, that your people would be helped. God would would hear, be, be able to hear your voice even through uh, the, this message tonight. I'm praying, God, for your grace to speak with clarity and with understanding, with revelation tonight. I pray, God, for your glory to be manifested in this service and that we as your people, that we would fall down at your feet, even as the Apostle John. Help us, O God, as you gave him commission in this book. Lord, let us to receive your commission tonight and to obey, God, whatever it is that you've called us to do. We thank you for all that you've done in Jesus' mighty name. God's people would say, amen. This is a message tonight that I've titled, Encountering the Living Christ. And so in other places in the Bible, especially the gospel narratives, they are very exciting. If you read through Matthew and Mark and Luke and John, these are, of course, the gospel accounts, the eyewitness accounts of these various disciples that are giving their account of what has taken place uh, when it comes to the Lord Jesus Christ. And when we see Jesus in those gospel accounts, he Even though, yes, we know he does many mighty miracles and he teaches as no man ever taught. One of the things about Jesus is that he's very relatable, right? People were drawn to Jesus, that he attracted a following. There was people who begin to not only follow, but to listen to Jesus and to 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 learn from him and to be not just followers, but to be disciples of Jesus. It was a circle of of gathering of people that beyond just the 12 original apostles that there was people some uh, one day he sent out the 72 to go and preach the good news Uh, later on after the resurrection he had those disciples 120 gathered in the upper room praying and believing God for whatever was about to come next in the book of Acts and we see that there is this following that Jesus Yes, even though he's an an incredible teacher and a healer and does mighty miracles, and yet he has taken on a human form. And isn't aren't we glad that he did? Because if Jesus would have come to the earth in all of his heavenly glory, everywhere that he went and every person who would have saw him would have responded the same way John did when he said, I fell as if I was dead at his feet. If Jesus were to show up in this service, in the fullness of his glory and his power, can I tell you something? You wouldn't survive. You would be so filled with terror. His presence would be horrifying to us because of his holiness, because of his wonder. What we see tonight in this scripture is a moment of time where Jesus appears to the Apostle John as he really is, not veiled by human flesh, not hidden 
as he was for those years that he lived on the earth. And if we're going to understand this description that Revelation gives to the Lord Jesus, then we're going to have to understand the worldview that the Apostle John was writing from. All of this imagery that we read about when we, when we see in chapter uh, uh, 1, verse uh, 13, in the midst of the seven lampstands, there was his head was like wool, his white as snow, eyes like flame of fire. When we begin to read this, these verses, we can get distracted very easily. And the reason why is this, because we are very visual as a culture, right? We are all about how things appear. And so we think that when John gives this description of Jesus, he is trying to give us an accurate visual description of what Jesus looked like in that moment. But that's a mistake. Because the worldview of the Jews was very, very symbolic. All of these attributes that John gives to the appearance of Jesus were not intended necessarily to give us a visual guide of what Jesus looked like. We were not supposed to begin drawing a picture in our mind of what we think this looks like. What we are supposed to be doing is saying to ourselves, what do these things mean? Let me give you an example. If I pull out this candle, I have a jar candle right here. Now, if I show this to an audience, what we begin to do is we begin to assess the visual components of this candle. We say, well, it's about uh, three inches in diameter. Well, it's, uh, it's glass. It's got a sticker on the front. It's green, and that's what it looks like. And we think to ourselves, yes, I understand everything about this candle now. But if this was a Jewish mentality and coming from a Jewish worldview, what, what was important to them is not what it looks like, but what it does. What's its purpose? When a Jew looks at this, he says, oh, there's some wicks in the bottom. This is a candle. This is for bringing light and bringing heat into a room and bringing an aroma of fragrance. So the candle to the Jewish mentality is not about how big it is, how heavy it is, how it feels, or what color it is. That, that, that's all superfluous. When they look at this, they think light, heat, and fragrance. And that is a good lesson for us to remember as we begin to understand this description of the Lord Jesus Christ that is as it is given in verses 12 through 18. Now let's read through that description one more time and I want to give you the Jewish worldview, the understanding of these symbols that were given by the apostle John. Are you ready? Keep your eyes peeled on verse 12, Revelation chapter 1. This is a slightly different translation, but you'll still be able to follow along. I turned to see the voice that spoke with me, and having turned, I saw seven. What does seven symbolize to the Jewish mind perfection completeness I saw seven of golden what what what's gold signify it signifies purity durability superiority 
What is, what's golden? The lampstands. A lampstand, again, like a candle, is a source of light, is a symbol of God's presence. Verse 13, in the midst of those seven lampstands is one like the Son of Man. Now, you might not know this, but when Jesus called himself the Son of Man over and over, Son of Man, he said the Son of Man has come. He called himself the Son of Man. And it's interesting to us, isn't it? Why didn't he call himself the Son of God? Shouldn't he be called the Son of God? Why is Jesus always emphasizing this title, the Son of Man? I'll tell you why. Because it was a prophetic fulfillment of, of a, of a scripture in the book of Daniel, chapter 7. Daniel called the Messiah. He would be called the Son of Man. He was inheriting this messianic title. So one like the Son of Man, okay? He was clothed with a garment in the Jewish mind that symbolizes a covering. Think of the Mount of Transfiguration. It's a symbol of the priesthood, of representation before God, the garment which goes down to the feet, The feet, which are your stability, authority. The feet were where uh, in in a kingly, uh, in a kingdom, you would bow down before the feet of someone who has authority. It says that girded about his chest was righteousness, a golden band. This comes from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 5. This is a symbol of the priesthood again. Uh, uh, coming from the Jewish history of the temple, the golden uh, uh, band that would go across his chest was a symbol of the royal priesthood of Israel. Verse 14, his head. Now he begins to describe the, the head of Jesus. We know that in other places of the New Testament, the head speaks about the authority, right? And when Jesus said, you are the head and not the tail, he says, you're in charge. Where your head goes, your body will follow. So his head, the Bible says, it tells of his kingship and his authority. His hair. What does the Bible say about hair? It says that the hair of a woman is her glory. Right? And so his hair, his glory was white as wool. White meaning pure or clean. It speaks about his holiness. Snow in the Jewish mind. It says white as snow. Snow in those days was very rare. The Jews in Israel would hardly ever see snow. It would be something that's a once in a lifetime occurrence. So it means it symbolizes rarity, pureness, above and beyond the human ability. His eyes, remember what the Bible teaches about the eyes, that they are the gateway to the soul. And what do we see in the soul of Jesus? We see a flame of fire. We sang about it tonight, burn in me. Let the fire of the Holy One burn in me. And it speaks about refining fire, purification. Again, back to his feet, verse 15. His feet were like fine brass. What does brass symbolize? It's the metal that the altar of sacrifice is made out of. It is the serpent on the pole that was uh, crafted by Moses in the book of Numbers. All of this points to a messianic truth. Verse 16, in his hand he had seven stars. And we know later on Jesus translates his own uh, image and he says that these are the angels. Out of his mouth went a sharp two-edged sword. I bet you can guess what that symbolizes. 
the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. It is His authority. His countenance was like the sun. What does the sun symbolize? It symbolizes the source of life. We just did a science class. Uh, I'm teaching this science class to 7th and 8th graders, and we're doing this Christian curriculum of a science uh, book. And it's, it was amazing to me. We came to the, uh, the uh, chapter, which is about energy and how plants can absorb energy and how people can absorb energy. And it made a very simple statement, but one that I'd never really thought of before. Everything that you eat, every source of energy that you consume, ultimately has come from the sun. Because without the sun, the plants can't grow. Without the plants, the animals can't eat. And without plants and without animals, you're going to be hungry. So all energy comes from the sun. It said that about Jesus, that when in his right hand, his countenance was like the sun shining in glory in its strength. Now, no wonder that when the Apostle John saw Jesus in this form, it says in verse 17, when I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. Now listen, I want to approach this tonight and I want to remind you about the power of the God that we serve. When's the last time you realized the power of the Lord Jesus Christ? When's the last time that you begin to feel the presence of God with such truth, with such rarity that all you could do is profusely begin to worship. This reminds me so much of the the scripture in the book of Isaiah and chapter 6 where Isaiah who's the prophet he sees the Lord high and lifted up. The train of his robe fills the temple with glory. He has a revelation of the angels, the cherubim around the throne, the altar of God, and they are ever worshiping, singing the song holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, right? Now, when the prophet Isaiah saw that, what did he do? Did he say, oh, that's really nice. Oh, that's just so beautiful. I should draw a picture of that. Did he continue on with his day as if nothing had happened? When he caught a revelation of the holiness of God, do you know what happened? he began to pronounce woe upon himself. He said, woe is me, for I am undone. It's a form of death. In the previous chapters of the book of Isaiah, he had already pronounced woe, judgment on other nations. He had pronounced woe on this nation because they were disobedient and they had attacked the people of God. That nation and that. He said, woe unto you. That's a form of judgment. But when he sees the Lord high and lifted up, he says, woe is me, for I'm undone. I believe that the church today needs a fresh revelation of God's holiness. Needs a new revelation of Jesus' power. If we can sit through a whole church service without feeling the need to bow before him, 
And we have not properly communicated the holiness and the power of a living God. We are treating Jesus as if he's just another pop celebrity star. We are treating Jesus as if he's just another leader of a religious cult. But he is not. He is the almighty. He is the beginning and the end. He is the first and the last. And when you have a revelation of the living Christ, it's scary. And it should be. If the Apostle John, remember, the Apostle John, who's an old man by this time, he's seen a lot of things. He's been through a lot of life. He has watched Jesus be crucified and raised from the dead. He's seen a lot of things. No doubt he'd been persecuted for the Lord. He had been, uh, uh, been shuttered away on this island of Patmos, a prison colony. He'd been through a lot and seen a lot. And he could have been sitting on his chair and seen Jesus say, hmm, that's interesting. Praise the Lord. Golf clap, everyone. When he saw Jesus, he fell at his feet. What's your reaction tonight? If you haven't fallen at his feet, then your view of Jesus is too low. If you think Jesus is just a cool guy who said a lot of cool things, then you have the wrong revelation tonight. Remember how John was almost the best buddy of Jesus on the earth. Remember how he wanted to be with him. Remember how he wanted always. But this is the same John years later and the same Jesus, except now his glory is revealed. And the same John no longer wants to lean on his, br- on his bosom like he did at the Last Supper. He says, I'm out of here, and lays down at his feet. Do you know why that is? Because John saw more of Jesus than he had before. That indicates to me that John had an increasing revelation of Jesus as time goes by. You know a problem that I see in my life and maybe in your life is that we come to a plateau with God, don't we? We grow so far, we learn a few things, we experience a few things with God and we get to this plateau. We say, I know enough already. I've done enough for God. I've seen enough people get saved. There's nothing left for me to accomplish. I'm just going to coast out the rest of my life. I understand. I've heard that sermon 300 times already, Pastor. Isn't it true? We become familiar with things that we ought not become familiar with. Do you remember tonight how God treated the man Uzzah? When he, they were transporting the ark of God from one city to another. The ark of God, which was not to be touched by human hands. Because it was God's box. It was God's holy ark. And yet there they were carrying it from one city to another. The Bible said that the, the cart that it, was, that it was on, it was being carried by an ox cart. And it stumbled. And it began to go this way and that way. 
And Uzzah, one of the men that followed David, he reached up his hand to steady the ark of God. And God killed him. Just like that. A good man. Do you know why? I read that as a new convert and I thought to myself, man, God, you're mean. This guy was trying to help you. I didn't understand that God, God killed this man because Uzzah became familiar with things that should not be familiar. Uzzah just said, oh, it's just another crate full of stuff. It's just another box made of wood. It's no big deal. I can put my hand on it. You know, we begin to do that in the house of God, don't we? We put our hands on things like the tithe. Something that is supposed to be holy and set apart for God. And when you put your hands on it, something begins to die in you, doesn't it? We do that with marriage. Marriage is something holy, something made by God, something that was instituted by God. And when you begin to mess with it, you begin to put your hands over it. You know, the church is something holy. What we're doing here tonight is more than just gathering together in a building. It is holy. We are the bride of Christ when we come together. And for you to miss a church service, putting your hands on, oh, it's no big deal. I've been to a thousand church services. I can, I'll I'll be there again next week. No big deal. I can watch that show. I can go play that game. And we put our hands on things that we shouldn't put our hands on. We ought to be having, like John, the growing revelation of the Lord Jesus Christ. I want to show you tonight the wonderful restoration that Jesus provides to the apostle. Look at verse 17. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as dead. But, oh, there's some good buts in the Bible. This is one of them. But he laid his right hand on me, saying, do not be afraid. Now, Jesus, if he wanted to, he could have begun to turn the screws right here, couldn't he? (laughs) When John fell at his feet as dead, Jesus could have put his foot on his neck. Yep, you deserve that, John, because you're nothing, and I'm everything. And he would have been right. We are all sinners before God, aren't we? We are all deserving of his judgment and his condemnation. Yes, you are. Don't argue with me. Jesus could have turned the screws. He could have, you know, Jesus sees everything and he knows everything. He could have said, John, why were you thinking all those nasty, perverted thoughts back 50 years ago? He could have said, John, you remember you made that mistake and you ticked somebody off and you brought shame to my name. He could have done a lot of things, right? He could have told John that he didn't measure up, and that's true. We don't measure up. We don't follow the letter of the law nor the spirit of the law very well, do we? Jesus could have said, yeah, that's right. You better recognize. Fall at my feet. But he didn't. When Jesus saw his friend the Apostle John 
fall down at his feet as dead. Jesus began to restore and not to bring condemnation. There's good news here tonight. There's good news for you and me. If you and I will have the proper revelation of Jesus, we'll be reminded of who he is and how powerful he is, then he will begin to reach out his right hand of restoration. Let me remind you tonight. It's interesting to me that Jesus is the one who initiated this restoration. John could do nothing. He was as though dead. Perhaps his heart was still beating, but he might have been passed out on the floor down there. He could have lost his lunch or maybe the other th- out the other direction. We don't know. But what I do know is that he did not have any strength to try to pull himself up to Jesus. That's why Jesus first reached out to him. Aren't you glad that Jesus does that? He still reaches out to you after you messed up, after you did wickedness. He still reaches out to you after you had a bad attitude and after you cussed him out. You still, he, he still reaches out to you when you get a revelation. You say, God, that was so stupid. And we begin to beat ourselves up and tell ourselves we're worthless. And yeah, it's true. But when we bow at his feet, Jesus has compassion. And he initiates restoration and reconciliation by reaching out his hand. He laid his hand on me. Not just any hand. It says very specifically that he laid his right hand on me. Everybody hold up your right hand. The right hand in the Jewish worldview. (laughs) Patrick, your other right. (laughs) In the Jewish worldview, the right hand is the hand of authority. Left hand, still to this day, if you travel to the Middle East... And you try to shake somebody's hand with your left hand, you think that they think that you're insulting them. If you slap somebody with the left hand, that's like cursing their mama. Because the left hand is used for ungodly things. We'll just leave it like that. The right hand is the hand of authority and blessing. The right hand is the hand. Remember where Jesus sat. At the altar of God, he sat at the father's right hand. And so Jesus reaches out his hand of reconciliation, his right hand. Jesus, he could have stood back. He could have stood up with his arms folded. Get up, John. Just get up. But he didn't speak to him like that, did he? He could have called his name. But he didn't. Isn't it interesting in the gospel accounts how often Jesus, he could speak the word. We know that he did in a few occasions. He said, at this very hour, your servant will be healed. And they said later on, they went back and they found out that at that moment, they were healed. He could have done that. And he did a few times. But so often in the gospel accounts, we see Jesus laying his hand on people. We see Jesus putting his hand on the, on the ear of Peter to restore it. 
he's touching the lepers, people who have not been touched for years or decades because the leprosy separates them from society. And Jesus walks up to them and he just puts his hands on them. Jesus still gets involved in the nitty gritty of your life. He still wants to touch those areas that are imperfect, where you're still under construction. Those places that you haven't figured out yet in your life. Maybe I'm the only one who's still got a few problems. Maybe I'm the only one who's still got a few areas of disobedience against God. We get all crusty in our faith thinking, oh yeah, I'm finished now. I can just, I'm ready for heaven, pastor. Oh really? I can help you with that. No, I don't want to do that. I'm just kidding. Jesus reaches out his hand into the areas that we need. He washes feet. The right hand not only speaks about the hand of authority, but it is the hand of power. Remember, John, in this moment, he was fallen on the floor as though dead. He had no strength in himself. Jesus reaches out his right hand to empower. He gives him strength in the midst of his weakness. 2 Corinthians 12, verse 9, it's, uh, God said to the apostle Paul, My grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. See, you'll never know the power of God until you know how weak you are. Until you come to the end of yourself. Finally, after touching the Apostle John and reaching out his hand, the right hand of authority and power, then he begins to speak and he says those familiar words. He says, do not be afraid. The same voice that calmed the sea, the same voice that shook the mountains, is the same voice that says, do not fear. The word of God, as we find it so far, is very kind and consoling. The word of God who speaks encouragement. Jesus spoke in John chapter 6, verse 63. It is the spirit who gives life. The, the flesh profits nothing, but the words that I speak to you, they are spirit and they are life. And as Jesus begins to reach out his hand to the Apostle John and begins to speak, do not fear. And he gives John a personal revival. I want to tell you tonight, some of you, your life is like the Apostle John. Laying dead at his feet. You've run out of strength. You're at the end of your rope. You've run out of all of your fancy strategies that you had put in place. That's a good place to be. Because if you will hear the voice of the Lord, he will reach out his hand to you. He will speak to you. Do not be afraid. And he is able to bring revival. Look at how he revives John. And then we're going to close tonight. He begins with a self-definition. Do not be afraid. I am the first and the last. Verse 18, I am he who lives, who was dead, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Amen. And I have the keys of Hades and 
of death. In this description that Jesus gives to himself, again, we've looked at this already, but the first and the last, he says, I'm the beginning and the end, I'm the alpha and the omega, I'm the A to Z, I am the all in all, I am he who lives. But then there's a little negative note, isn't it? He says, I was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. Let me tell you something tonight. No one else in all the universe can say that sentence without lying. No one else can say, I am the first and the last. I was dead, but now I'm alive forevermore. Nobody else can do that. Yes, there were other resurrections, but none by the very direct power of God. None were permanent as Jesus. And I tell you tonight, no superstar can say this. No Justin Bieber can say this. No Donald Trump can say this. No political hero, no sports hero can say this. Only Jesus can say this. Do you know him? You talk to him? Because this is how he revives us, is through self-revelation. If you want to have strength to make it to the next level of revelation with God, you've got to know him. It's not enough to know about him. It's not enough to see someone else have a revelation. You've got to put yourself in that place tonight. And when Jesus begins to speak to John, then, then he gives him a commission, a job to do. Did you know we still have a job to do tonight? Are you all still with me? Jesus gave him a purpose. Verse 19, write the things which you have seen and the things which are and the things which will take place after this. He said, John, you've got a job to do. Can I tell you, any time that you get a revelation of the Lord, it's not going to be disconnected from purpose. Any time you get a revelation from God, it's going to be joined together. This is who I am. This is what I want you to do. It's the Apostle Paul. When he was converted on the road to Damascus, do you remember the two questions that he asked? He said, Lord, who are you? And what do you want me to do? If you think that you can be revived without having something to do, then you're mistaken tonight. God does not revive people without also giving them a purpose, a commission, a job. You are tonight the hands and the feet of Christ. We are his Members of his body tonight. He doesn't save us for nothing. If that was the case, then we could just, we could be finished at the moment we get saved. That's the end of the life. It's, we can be sucked up to heaven. But he doesn't do that, does he? He saves us. He gives us revelation. And then he gives us something to do. John was revived for a purpose. Let me ask, what about you tonight? Do you know your purpose in the things of God? Some people are called to give. Some people are called to go. 
Some people are called to be administrators and organizers in the kingdom. God help us. We need people like that. We need musicians. We need talents. Don't tell me how much revelation. Oh, pastor, God spoke to me the other day. It was amazing. It was awesome. It was powerful. Oh, really? Then why are you still living in sin? Why are you still sleeping with people you're not married to? Why are you still drinking alcohol? Oh, but it was powerful. I got this revelation, this understanding. Oh, really? Then how come you're sitting like a bump in a log in church? Why are you useless for the kingdom? Why are you like the little elbow skin on on the body? What is that for? Nothing. We've got to be useful for the kingdom. Useful for his purposes. God saved the Apostle John and gave him something to do. Start writing. Write those things that you've seen and those things which will take place. And then, aren't you glad, in verse 20 as we close this out, he says the mystery of those seven stars. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, maybe it's in my mind I'm thinking like, okay, so John sees these seven gold, these seven stars and seven golden lampstands, and he's trying to put all these pieces, and there's Jesus. Whoa! And he falls down dead at his feet. He's like, what does all this mean? And Jesus begins the process. He begins to interpret his own symbolism. Look at what he says. The mystery of the seven stars that you saw in my right hand and the seven golden lampstands. The seven stars are the angels of the seven churches. And the seven lampstands which you saw are those seven churches. Now, you're going to see in the next few chapters, we're going to go through each one of these churches, that these are seven major churches at the time that were active and were working for the Lord in Asia Minor. Uh, There was the church of Philadelphia and Laodicea and, uh, and, uh, and the other ones that were there. And so Jesus has a specific message for each one of them. The angels of those churches, what does the word angel mean? Messenger. So probably when Jesus is talking about the lights are the angels, he's talking about the pastors or the leaders of those churches. And he says, I have a message for you to deliver, John, to these churches, to these seven churches that are so important. And each one of them is going to challenge us and help us in coming weeks. And I want to encourage you tonight. This is a message We are called to encounter the living Christ. Listen, he wants to have an encounter with you. You have as much of God as you want. It's not like that we are sitting here saying, oh, God, how much I want to have an encounter with you. And he says, no. Stay away from me. It's not like that, is it? You can have as much of Jesus as you desire. And if you don't have much of him, it's because you probably don't desire much. It probably means that he's going to put demands on you that you don't want to change and conform to his standards. My call tonight is that we, like the Apostle John, would realize who he is, fall down at his feet so that we can hear his voice of restoration and be commissioned to the work that is at hand. Let's bow our heads. We thank you again for listening. 
Do you want to receive updates from our church in your inbox? Make sure to sign up at our website, vvph.org. If this message has been a blessing to you, would you consider supporting our ministry with a generous donation? Please visit our website at vvph.org and scroll down to find the Give button at the bottom of the page. We would be so grateful for your support. Until next time, love God and love people.